0: This NCEA podcast episode is brought to you by NWEA. NWEA is a research-based, mission-driven, not-for-profit organization that supports students and educators worldwide by creating assessment solutions that precisely measure growth and proficiency, and provide insights to help tailor instruction. For 40 years, NWEA has developed preschool through 12th grade assessments and professional learning offerings to help advance all students along their optimal learning paths. NWA's tools are trusted by educators in more than 9,500 schools, districts, and education agencies in 145 countries. We are grateful that NWA partners with 81 dioceses and archdioceses. Hello and welcome to the NCEA podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to support Catholic educational leaders. At NCEA, we address challenges in Catholic education, and we also share our successes. I am Jill Annable, the Senior Vice President of Programs here at NCEA, and I have the honor of promoting and leading the programs that we have, like our main event each April and the Catholic Leadership Summit in October, but today I am here with one of our members and that is Jim Gallagher, the Superintendent of Catholic Schools and the Diocese of Erie, Uh, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Good morning, Jill, I'm glad to be here and uh, thanks for giving me an opportunity to share my experiences.
0: Absolutely, before we dive into that, let's talk about um, your, your, um, your life in Catholic education and how you got to here.
1: So I'm, I'm sure, like everyone else, it's it's a little bit of an interesting story. Um, I went through Catholic education my whole life, um, graduated from a Catholic grade school, graduated from a Catholic high school, and graduated from a Catholic university. So uh, I'm very familiar with Catholic education, although uh, in the early part of my career when I began teaching, I spent uh, 14 years in public education. Um, But interestingly enough, um, my faith is very important to me. I always felt that uh, I was holding something back. In fact, the most important part of who I am, which is my Catholic faith and my relationship with God. um, I loved my time in public education, working with students and um, enjoying my time in the classroom. But I always felt that there was something missing, Um, and so I Continue to pray about opportunities uh, within the Catholic school system um, that would present themselves for me to uh, jump back into what I had known and loved. Um, But ironically, I really had no interest in uh, senior administration. In fact, throughout my career, folks would ask me, you know, why don't you go back and get your principal certification? Or why don't you go back and do this? And I kept trying to find ways to do anything but that. I really wasn't looking to be an administrator. Um, I love that. That's great. So I loved teaching. And then I was a uh, worked in an educational service agency for quite a while uh, as a professional development I led professional development and then moved into curriculum, and I loved that work. Um, But ironically, I kept finding myself in scenarios where I um, had to go back for more school to be able to have career options. I was still early in my career and felt that I didn't want to limit myself, Um, so I went back to get my principal certification only because uh, that allowed me where I was working to do more in professional development and supervise some other people. But again, I wasn't really looking to be a principal. Um, And then I did that for a number of years and found myself at a point where uh, I couldn't progress and um, knew that I had a long career ahead of me yet. So I went back to um, get my PhD in uh, education, was part of a program. Um, But life circumstances changed and I had to defer that. Um, So I thought, gosh, all right, Lord, I really don't want to do this, but I'll be a—I'll uh, go back and get my superintendent certification just so I have options. Um, and then uh, it was at that time in our diocese the bishop began the uh, pastoral planning process, which was to really take a look at Catholic education in our diocese, but also parishes and youth ministry, and really you know take a broad approach and see what our diocese needed. Um, so they released a plan right as I was going through my superintendent process. Um, that called for a new position which they had not had a superintendent um, probably 15 years prior um, and really put out a plan called building in truth and love which was a roadmap for how we were going to restructure and 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 grow catholic education in the diocese of erie and part of that was creating this position and something clicked and I just prayed about it a lot and felt the call and uh, applied, but kept thinking, Lord, I'm okay with it if I don't get it. And um, here I am five years later, so. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's inco- okay. I was that was going to be my, my next question was how long ago was that and who was running the schools then so without a superintendent wh- how was all that work getting done
1: sure so uh, that plan was released in 2015 and then I was hired in 2016 and that included you know restructuring schools and you know really looking at the future and what we need and right sizing but then also uh, creating a vision for what we wanted Catholic education to look like and moving forward. Um, so prior to that it was the there was a vicar for education position um, and that was my boss i reported to him as uh, you know as the superintendent i reported to the vicar for education but they also had a director i mean we, we have an office staff the catholic schools office and those folks have worked really hard to get to that point they were the ones that brought forth the plan and initiated um you know, a lot of the work. Um, so I can't take all the credit at all because I walked into, uh, here's, the, here's the roadmap, now it's time to execute. Um, so we had, you know, director of government programs, director of curriculum, director of personnel and, and schools. Um, so they, but they just didn't have that, that point person as the superintendent.
0: Sure, so how many, how many schools are in the diocese?
1: So we have 30 schools, uh, seven of those are high schools and um, we have two types of schools at this point well actually three Um, we have the traditional parish based schools um, which we all know and love from our childhood but we also recognize that there's limits to that and as we move forward that that model really um, isn't the model of the future and so then the other model that we have is what we've called our system schools and those have been separately incorporated. Uh, they still work with us in the Catholic schools office and as superintendent I have some um, w- authority w- over them, but um, they also have boards. There's two-tier boards and they have limited jurisdiction and um, so they, we are trying to set up uh, strong sc- school systems uh, that can really make the decisions they need to make and, and um, at the local level and part of that is because our diocese is so large we uh we cover 13 counties in pennsylvania and that's 10,000 square miles so um it really you know and we're in we're on one end of the diocese so the city of erie is kind of you know right up against the lake but then the rest of the diocese is out in the counties and and there's rural so we have some more urban areas but then we really have a lot of rural areas as well um, so.
0: yeah I, okay so let, let's talk about that a minute because I think the size of your diocese and how far it spreads is very relatable to many dioceses in this country sometimes we just listen to the top 10 you know the big ones but yours is very relatable in that you can get to know 30 schools pretty well. You know, you can have relationship and um, whether you have jurisdiction there or not, if the governance model is in the system or the or the diocesan schools, it sounds as though that's a size, you know, that's, you can put people in a room together and have really good conversation and get work done with that size, even if they're spread out. So, okay, so I have a bit of a different question. So I'm also in the Midwest and I am also near a Great Lake. I have, I'm 30 minutes to the beach, uh, Lake Michigan. So how far away are you from Lake Erie. Are you on Lake Erie?
1: Uh, we are on Lake Erie. I would say I, you know, I can be at the beach in probably 15 minutes. So,
0: ah, uh, it's a, you know, it's America's third coast, and people don't even understand how how incredible that is. It's it's beautiful. So, just want to make sure we highlighted that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's
0: beautiful. Yeah, but we get a lot <laughs> of snow about too. That. So
1: there's a trade-off. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, well, which is which is why we appreciate the sun when it comes out. Yes. We appreciate yeah being able to. Uh, go outside so okay so now sometimes as leaders and this is how this conversation got to be um, on the podcast I love that um, I receive phone calls all day from superintendents but I also make those phone calls and in our conversations we really start talking about um, some things happening in your diocese and some things that have given you energy lately because this has been a long haul the last couple years of um, areas of leadership we never saw ourselves Getting ourselves into. And I just want to start with this. So sometimes as leaders, we don't like to share things until they're finished and they're tied up nicely in a bow. And then we can share it with colleagues and say, hey, look what I did and this worked. Um, but our conversation was more about something you're in the thick of, a process you have going on right now. And I know that we have the most to gain when we share our leadership processes and those starting points. So we were talking about work that you were doing at the diocesan level that was very accurate academic. Um, and so I'm hoping you can just tell us a little bit of that story and and how you ended up um, really talking academic excellence, even though that wasn't a focus um, in your position for at least a little while.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, the analogy I would use, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, renovating a house, right? Uh, the first couple of years you have it, you're you know, working on the plumbing, you're working on the electric work, you're doing a lot of stuff internally that people don't see. And I would say that that um, our execution of Building in Truth and Love was much like that for the first five years, um, where we were just, we were working so hard and, you know, navigating COVID, navigating all these other distractions. Um, uh, but we were looking at that governance model we talked about earlier, and we were you know, implementing new bylaws and all this stuff that happened in the background. Um, but, but people didn't know what we were doing, and it wasn't really evident in the schools yet. It was really a focus on leadership and building capacity and coming together as a community, as a learning community. Um, and so finally, though, what I would say is that after sort of five years of doing that internal work, we're at a point now, which is so exciting, um, to be able to, to do work that's much more visible and, um, you know that's really impactful in different ways so the work we were doing before was impactful but it was policy work it was all that infrastructure stuff that had to be in place Um, but now we're at a point where we can really focus on academic uh, success and excellence and um, we can focus on but really the professional development needed, the leadership needed in our schools to, to grow and strengthen uh, the quality of our academic experience. So how did that happen? Well, one of the key decisions we made early on, and it was something we wrestled with, we almost didn't do it, was um, our middle states accreditation process? So previously, uh, all of our schools independently were accredited. You know, they, we required them to go through that. It was a seven year plan. They would go through it and make it happen, but our office really wouldn't get all that data. We weren't a part of the process, and we weren't a part of the conversations about what their goals were and things like that. And so it was really um, kind of isolated and and. Um, you know, in silos, people were doing their own thing. And we made the decision, um, even though we knew it was gonna be a lot of work on our end, to, um... Have a diocesan-wide accreditation process. So, working with middle states, they worked with our office, and then through that process that we organized here in the diocese, the schools would gain their accreditation by working as part of one big plan. Um, and that took some buy-in. Some we actually had five schools that said, "You know, that sounds like a great idea, but we really value the process. We want to continue doing that." And we didn't we didn't play hardball. We said, "Okay." this time this is new for us let's see how it goes um but but the advantage then was we had 25 schools we were seeing all that data and and um looking at their culture and and seeing the reports and then we were diving into that to see what what were the trends across the diocese and what do we need to do and um then then it just created great conversation because we had representatives from all over the diocese on one team coming together at the table having a conversation about what we needed. So because we did that, and the data we had, and the conversations we had, we were able to narrow down three goals uh, that our diocese needed to focus on. One was governance, which we were already doing, so I won't talk about that. But the second one was we realized that we did not have a culture in our schools that really understood the value of assessment data or student data. Um, we, you know, when I first got here, and again, my public education experience, um, you know, we. Were, used to kind of, we had a, a public website that ranked each school, so we were really used to talking about data and student growth and achievement. Um, but when I got here and I'd say, how do you know your school's successful? You know, we would hear things like, well, our students have smiles on their faces or they go to church, which absolutely is what we're looking for. But from an academic standpoint, we really weren't able to demonstrate, um in a in a powerful way the great work that we were doing and so we recognized that if we were going to tell our story if we were going to be competitive if we were going to inspire confidence in our parents we needed to be able to do so in an intelligent way and back it up with with data so that was one thing is we needed to create a culture in our schools that understood um, we didn't want to swing too far the other way i think you know in my experience uh, there's an overemphasis of assessments in public education but i think in my experience here we didn't weren't doing it um i was to say we had some but it wasn't being used effectively the other area through the trends we noticed is that um, we had some some growth opportunities in in the area of our mathematics instructions um, we know that's an important skill with stem and and everything that's happening in our world right now And that's important to parents when they see that. Um, So while we were doing well, we weren't um, doing it in a way that we could confidently say, look, this is um, the best in the area. Um, So we focused on those two goals, uh, developing a culture in our schools that values and uses uh, student assessment data to drive instruction in the classroom. And then within the next seven years, all of our students will be at benchmark or exceed benchmark in the area of mathematics because we know how important that is Um, so those became our two goals and where we you know again then we had covid and our you know we we were we had setbacks right we we went through a two-year process to decide our new assessments i wanted buy-in right i wanted assessment that went from grade three all the way through grade nine so we could have continuity between the elementaries and the and the high schools and we were using some early um early learning assessments for grades K through two so we were we were going to finally align all of our assessments from K through ninth grade and then even in 10th and 11th grade we, we unified um, the um, college preparatory assessments um, so it was so exciting and we were finally got there and we used a company we it was a two-year process to go through have a group decide and they came to us after one year of COVID, and they're like we're discontinuing this product <laughs> And um, needless to say, I struggled with that quite a bit because we forced, you know, we didn't force, but we pushed through COVID and made it happen anyway. And the teachers were loving the data and it was having the conversations exactly what we wanted. And we had to start over with a new assessment this year. And um, mm. that was devastating. I
0: can't believe how you're interrupted <laughs> like that. That is, oh my goodness.
1: It was devastating. You can ask, I had to leave my office when they told us. I, I went for a walk. I'm like, I just can't. Deal with this right now so So what
0: did you land on so what did you end up doing so
1: we switched and we're now using um nwea map growth assessments and we're very excited about that um and we're moving through the transition once again um but that data is going to be so and and we actually you know it's kind of interesting because we wanted this um, benchmark data or um, the progress monitoring data throughout the year, Mm -hmm. we um, decided to go with that and focus on that exclusively. So we um, eliminated our end of year summative assessment as we would traditionally know it. We used to use Terra Nova's and and, um, different tests like that. But we thought, you know what, what is going to have the biggest impact on student learning and achievement and growth in Mm -hmm. the classroom? What is going to have the biggest impact on how teachers instruct and and impacting our curriculum? And it wasn't the one and done at the end of the year. It was the ongoing uh, measurement uh throughout the year so
0: and there's incredible there's incredible reports for teachers and for leaders in in the nwa system and i'm i'm curious how you did that in ninth grade because was it a different cell to tell the high schools that they were going to give a test that was also happening in the lower grades that's that's unique approach and i'm really intrigued by that sure
1: so we we when we put our assessment committee together right it all goes back to that background work we talked about we had high school representatives and elementary representatives together and we broke up into subcommittees but we asked them identify your data needs like what is it that you need to better prepare your teachers or help your teachers provide this instruction so we started from that premise and we actually took the time to develop a, an assessment, a philosophy of assessment for our diocese. You know, why are we using this data? How will we use it? What will we not use it for? That actually took um, quite a bit of discussion because people were nervous. Well, how are you going to use this and can it be used against us? Well, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so we developed a philosophy of assessment. Then we developed belief statements around it how are we gonna use this data to provide meaningful work in our diocese and in our schools? So laying that groundwork helped because then when we got to the point where we were analyzing assessments, everyone understood what our common goal was, what our purpose was, and then it became a matter of not convincing them to do it so much as how can we find the tool that works for all of us and meets our different needs? And um, when when the secondary folks saw that the information would carry through and they could see continuity between the students they were getting from our feeder schools and the data that would also then go into the high schools, they were on board. They were on board because they were a part of the process and they understood why we were doing it. Um, and there is some flexibility. At the, at the ninth grade level, there is a separate algebra test that they can take instead of just the mm-hmm. regular math. There's a separate, um, I think literature, ELA test, I can't remember which one it is exactly, um, that they have some flexibility in and we gave them that flexibility. Um, But again, that was all part of our goal to create a culture in our schools that understood the value of this data and how how to use it.
0: Right. And I think, you know, and that's also building an authentic way for those conversations to have of transition years um, and for your schools to work together so that's and they're all learning it together so that's it's not it wasn't the elementary schools convincing the high schools to continue it or the high schools telling you know their feeder schools what to do so the kids are prepared this gets to be collaboration on a level playing field which is incredible okay so your your colleagues your your superintendents throughout the country are probably wondering with everything else on your plate, how in the world do you have, do you have time for this, but also how has this work impacted the other responsibilities you have as superintendent?
1: Sure. So, you know, <laughs> you could make the argument that we don't have time um because so many things come at us all you know as a superintendent and dealing with 30 schools which isn't a huge diocese but it's not you know it you know in our area it would be considered the third largest school district in the region um, and we have 17. so um, i would say this we don't have a choice it's imperative that we make time for this work it's just like we do for our catholic identity and bringing in our faith, which is a part of what our school is, um, and our diocese, we have to have the academic excellence. Our bishop, uh, Bishop Persco, I have a huge amount of respect for him. He uses the analogy of two lungs, right? Catholic identity is one lung and the other lung is academic success. And so in my work, it is so easy to be um You know, the tyranny of the urgent we've we've all heard that right to be responsive to all these things and, and, um, you know, my day can get blown up like that, but we have found and um, to support this work that we're doing we have created what we were many of us know are called the professional learning communities and so. We've asked, we put whole professional development together to get in our schools, uh, professional learning communities, and them building teams to use this data so that it doesn't just, we're not just giving them data, but we're giving them a framework and a vehicle to unpack that and to have safe conversations around what needs to happen, right? So we kind of thought, you know what, we're asking them to do it out there in the schools and we need to, to take some ownership and do that ourselves in our own office. So we started a professional learning team here in the catholic schools office separate from our normal logistic meetings and we're meeting um, at an hour and a half intervals we stay true to it we built our norms just like we asked them to do and um, i have to tell you it's it's the most energizing part of my week because we're talking about the stuff that we all became educators for you know, I didn't go into education to deal with COVID and masks and, you know, or deal with all these things. I went into education because I wanted to make a difference because I believed in the power of education and making a difference in children's lives. And um, this gives me the opportunity to do it. And we protect that time. We, we make it so, you know, we, we tell folks, you can't interrupt us, this is our hour and a half. And, um, you know, if there's emergencies, we respond to the emergencies. But it's so energizing, and it's impacting the other part of my work because it's it's causing us to focus and to really look at what is important um, and how are we spending our time in responsiveness versus strategic leadership. Um, and so we're trying to build leaders. We're trying to build lead learners in our buildings. And if we don't do that or model it ourselves, you know how can we say we're, we're more busy than they are? We're not. Um, so if we want them to prioritize it, we have to prioritize it. And and so that's how it's impacting my work.
0: Mm -hmm. I I love that uh, image of the lungs. And... At NCA, the the national standards and benchmarks for effective elementary and secondary Catholic schools, the NSBEX. Domain one is all about the faith life of the school and teaching students the faith, and then domain three is academic excellence, and they go hand in hand. You can't you can't be successful in the NSBEX without one without both of those. Um, And so it sounds as though you've already answered this next question I was going to ask you, which was about what happens if a diocesan office neglects the academic excellence part of the Nesbeck's. And I'm just wondering if you have any additional thoughts on that, because it happens because we're in the thick of so many other things. What what does happen if you were to walk away from this now that it started or as you see colleagues who don't prioritize this because there's so many other things to do from a system point of view?
1: You know, I, I was prepared for that question, and I would say the answer is, and I don't, I don't mean to be strong, but it, I think we're not fulfilling our mission. Our myth, mission of Catholic education is to bring the faith into the lives of, of our students and their families and bring them to Christ, but we have to do so in an academically uh, sound way we have to provide that that education piece. Otherwise, uh, we can no longer survive on just being a good Catholic school. There's too much competition out there. There's too much information available on, on the internet regarding how schools are doing and districts. And when people move in, realtors are, are recommending districts based on their scores. And if we're not a part of that conversation, if we don't prioritize that, we've lost our mission and we're going to really lose our relevancy. That's, that's the truth of it.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's okay. You're preaching to the choir. I'm I'm with you on that one. That's why I'm here at NCA. This is, this is the work. This is the hard work that we're all up to. Um, I can tell you're a lifelong learner. You're, I can tell you can just, you can just hear it in the, in the answers you're giving. What are some ways you continue to learn while also being superintendent?
1: So a couple things. One, um, I make it a priority to attend all the trainings that I ask our principals to attend. So when we were, you know, having the professional learning community conversation and we were getting some professional development on that, or when we were looking for the standards for mathematical practice and we were rolling that out as part of our math goal, I was there. I was there whether it was virtually or in person. um, And that's for two reasons. One, I need to know Not just be up, you know, we we joke about being up in the office or the, you know, the up in the ivory tower, right? And I
0: was going to say the ivory tower, that's the, there it is.
1: Exactly. So if I'm not there as a part of it, one, it doesn't demonstrate that I'm prioritizing it or that I think it's important. It's important for them, but not for me, right? If I'm not there. Two, um, if I don't hear what their struggles are or what they're wrestling with or their questions, we can't continue to provide... Um, more support to make it happen professional development and this is from my background when i was a a presenter um, it's not meaningful if it's not supported if it's not monitored if it's not part of an ongoing goal or focus and so um when i'm there i i try to sit in with them and i tell them i'm not there to, to you know, tell them they're doing a good or bad job. I'm there because I need to learn with them and experience what their challenges are, what their what their teachers might resist to, or what they might like, or what they need more of. And um, so I learn that way. The other thing is this professional learning team that we've put together. I surround myself with uh, other people who are lifelong learners and who challenge me. Uh, we give ourselves permission to recognize we don't know everything and that we are still learning. And we give ourselves permission to teach one another and to learn from one another. Um, So, you know, those are two ways. Obviously, you know, there are other ways, but those are the two that I think have fed me throughout the last five years here
0: that's incredible. And I, you know, you're rolling into this final question I was going to ask which is focused on all of our new leaders. Every year we have new superintendents, we have new principals. NCA supports them with a the new uh, Leaders Academy which launches right now and same with the new superintendent academy. And so we're going to be providing support to both of those groups throughout the year and you can go to nca.org to see more information about that. It's not too late to join those cohorts. But I'm hearing when you say that new leaders need to find those networks, find those people to be with, but also to model uh, being a learner alongside all those who um, who are in your care, what other advice would you give to someone in their first year in Catholic school leadership?
1: Well, a couple of things. One, um, you know we desperately need, leaders who are sincere in their faith and they're grounded in their relationship with god and and you know i I almost liken it to to my marriage you know marriage is so awesome and there's so so many great things about it but if you're not grounded and centered in your faith it's hard too especially when you add children and things like that that's you know this work is so challenging and so um difficult in many, many levels. We're, we're asked to do so many things, but it is so critical, the work that we're doing. So if we're not prepared spiritually, if we're not grounded in that, um, it, it's, it's, it's gonna be too difficult. So number one, you really have to prioritize that. Number two, um, I, at least for me, and I would say that I'm sure there's a lot others out there, you have to be patient and pace yourself. <laughs> um, doing this transformative work takes time it takes time to build a culture it takes time to build leadership and um you know we've been implementing our plan for five years now and we're finally just starting to see some of the results uh, of that labor and um between my first year and five year five there were times where i kind of thought maybe this isn't for me um but being grounded in prayer um tr- Networking with people that you trust who can reflect back to you that things maybe aren't as difficult as they might seem. Um, so surrounding yourself with people who, with whom you um, have a good working relationship and that you trust. Um, those are some key things, I would say.
0: That's incredible. This is this has been a fun conversation. I've really enjoyed this. I've enjoyed your advice. I've uh, I've seen myself in some of your answers, but I've also learned a great deal. And so I hope um, hope everyone has enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, So thank you, Jim. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being on this journey alongside us. Um, And, you know, we're just grateful for this conversation.
1: Well, thanks, Jill. I really enjoyed it as well. And I wish everyone out there the best of luck as they continue and and that God continue to bless their
0: ministries. Well, thank you. All right. Well, until next time, this is the NCA podcast. It's been an honor to be with you all. God bless.